0: This is Solid Foundation Ministries with Dr. Pierre Couvert, building solid foundations through sound Bible teaching. Good morning and welcome back to Solid Foundation Ministries. Today I want to talk about Baptists and the fall of America. I think we're greatly responsible for the condition our country is in today. Preserving Baptist heritage is an important subject for America today. America was founded on Baptist principles. However, I'm not sure that we're approaching this in the right way. Although it is important to know the history of Baptists, I think we are putting the emphasis in the wrong place. Our people must know that we are not Protestants and what our role is in the foundation of this country. That's not where we're failing. We're failing because we have forgotten how our Baptist ancestors brought religious freedom to the world. They didn't do it by emphasizing our unbroken line to the first century, which we have. They did it through what they preached, the truths of the Word of God, without compromise. God used a congregational preacher, Jonathan Edwards, to increase the number of Baptists in the colonies. He went against the Calvinistic thought of his day. He used means to get the gospel to the lost. That simply means he preached the gospel to anyone who would listen. And as a result, a great number of people came to Christ. As the people came to Christ, they started studying the Bible. And as they studied the Bible, they became Baptists. Edwards complained that his chickens had turned into ducks. What that meant was the chickens who would stand a little sprinkling in baptism had turned into ducks who liked to, to go out in the deep water and he, he was upset with the fact that his converts were becoming Baptists. I do a lot of reading of the old time preachers and I'm struck with how Baptists of the 17th, 18th, and 19th centuries wrote. They spoke the truth without concern for who would be offended. They did not write and preach to offend, but they understood that the truth was needed and that it will offend evil people. Alexis de Tocqueville, a French political scientist, came to America in the mid-1800s to seek the secret to America's greatness. Here is what he had to say on the subject. I sought for the greatness and genius of America in her commodious harbors and her ample rivers, and it was not there in her fertile fields and boundless forests and it was not there in her rich mines and her vast world commerce and it was not there in her democratic congress and her matchless constitution and it was not there not until i went into the churches of america and heard her pulpits aflame with righteousness did i understand the secret of her genius and power America is great because America is good. If America ever ceases to be good, it will cease to be great. I want you to notice that de Tocqueville did not say that uh, they preached righteousness. He said the pulpits of America were aflame with righteousness. This means that they preached righteousness with great passion, and their listeners practiced what was preached. This made America a good nation. His prediction of what would happen if America ever ceased to be good, in other words, practice righteousness, uh, have come to pass in our day. The fear of offending has taken the flame out of our preaching. I'm not talking about volume and animation. I'm talking about preaching that brings conviction to the hearts of those who hear. We are afraid to deal with the real issues of our day because we might lose some tithers. Sometimes there has to be some pruning. Another problem that we have today, and I'll deal with it later in the message, is that there is no fear of God before the eyes of our people. I'm not talking just about the lost world. I'm talking about independent, Bible-believing, Baptist churches have lost their fear of God. In Second Timothy chapter 4, Paul gives the job of us preachers. It says, I charge ye therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word, be instant in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves preachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth, and shall be turned unto fables. But watch thou in all things, endure affliction, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry." I want you to notice that he says, I charge thee. This is a charge. This means that it is a task that must be done. It's not optional. Preachers, you're to preach the word of God. That's our only goal. Uh, The charge is made before God and the Lord Jesus Christ. That makes it pretty serious. When we look at, at who were charged before, we as preachers should have an attitude of we better make sure that we're really preaching God's word. As preachers, we will stand before the Lord one day and give an account for our preaching. We will stand before the Lord and answer to how we dealt with the issues of the day and what we did to make sure that our people were the kind of Christians they ought to be. The charge is to preach the word of God. The only thing we as preachers have to offer people is what God has said. Our opinions, our ideas, what we think might be important is not really important. It's what God thinks and what he had to say that's important. And our job is to communicate that clearly to our people. Today there's a lot of talk about expository preaching. They say that people don't do expository preaching because it's too hard. Well they are totally wrong in what they mean by that. They mean by expository preaching that we're preaching verse by verse. Folks, all preaching is supposed to be expository, whether we're going verse by verse, whether we're going topical, whether we're teaching on some historical point in the Bible, whether we're giving a study of of a person in the Bible, like David or something. All preaching is to be expository. What does it mean to be expository? It simply means to expose, to show what is in the scripture. Take that passage of scripture and show what's in it. If we're doing a topical subject and we go through various passages, we're to show what's in there and preach what's in each one of those passages of scripture, not just use them as a stepping stone to say what we, uh, what we mean. Whether you preach verse by verse or topical, It should always expose what God has to say. We are not to use the word of God as an excuse to say what we want to say, even though what we want to say may seem important to us. What God says is all that really matters. Paul also tells us in this passage what the goal of preaching is. It's first of all to reprove. Now, what does that word mean? Reprove means to discover a fault. It means to take a fault or an error and make it clear and understandable to the people so they know what that fault is. It's the pointing out of error in doctrine or in practice or in any other area where we have gotten away from the teachings of the Word of God. Anything or anyone that does not agree with the Scriptures must be brought into the light. The next thing preaching is supposed to do is supposed to rebuke. Rebuke and reprove are are very close in their meanings, but there is a difference and we need to understand that difference. The difference is that reproving points out the error and rebuke charges with the error. To reprove makes the error clear, to rebuke makes it personal. It makes the, the individual who's guilty feel guilty and understand his need to change. The next thing there to do is to exhort. Exhort means to use strong language to encourage to do right. In other words, our preaching should use strong language to encourage our people to do what's right. It should stimulate righteousness in those who hear uh, what we have to say. That is the very point that de Tocqueville was making when he said that the pulpits of America were aflame with righteousness remember he came from Europe where compromise was already well established in the churches uh, in the country he came from in France but he knew Germany and the other countries over there also and he was saying that our churches were not like that there was no compromise on righteousness in the churches of America and that's what made America good the next thing Paul talks about is how we're supposed to do it. First of all, we're to do it with long suffering. We are to keep on preaching the word even when we don't see results and we do see opposition. We need to understand that long suffering means we suffer a long time. We can either suffer because of opposition or we can suffer because we feel so bad because the people don't seem to be getting what we're preaching, but we're to do it with long suffering. Preachers are too afraid today that they will offend somebody. I hate to say that, but this is a characteristic that is taught in many of our Bible colleges today. They say, don't rock the boat. They say, don't uh, do things that are going to offend your people. Lee Robinson, the founder of Tennessee Temple and the head of it until not long before his death, uh, said that we were to keep everything positive. You better read your Bible because it does not keep everything positive. Jesus, in his preaching, did not keep everything positive. As a matter of fact, he always started out with the negative. Where do we find this idea of making it positive in the Bible? Bible preaching starts with the negative, reproof and rebuke, and then moves to the positive, correction and righteousness we should never deliberately offend but the word of god will offend it will offend those who are doing evil it will offend those who don't want to follow it it's going to offend so if we preach the, god, the bible as uh, pure and true and straight as we should we will offend some people and it's time we stop letting that be a thing that worries us we should never deliberately offend but we should preach what needs to be preached even if it will offend. Let me say this to you preachers who may be listening to this. If our preaching does not offend, if no one is ever offended, I don't mean it should all be offensive, but if no one is ever offended with our preaching, something is desperately wrong with our preaching because good Bible preaching will offend Those who love God and who love his word will accept this kind of uh, preaching and will make the changes necessary in their lives to be the godly children of God that they should be. So preachers, let's stop being so afraid that somebody who tithes may leave the church if we preach on something that steps on their toes. Let's realize that God is in control, and if, perchance, one of your great tithers leaves your church and... Hurt you financially, don't you think God is able to take care of that? And folks, I'm going to tell you something. I'm preaching from experience. I've done exactly what I'm saying, and I watched God take care of a church that I took from 49 down to 28 average Sunday morning service before we turned the church around and started growing again because I offended some people and they left. They left because they didn't want to follow God's principles. But I tell you, that church never, ever... In all of the time that was there had financial problems because the people were faithful, and even more importantly, God is faithful. Not only are we to preach the word with long suffering, we are to preach the word with doctrine. We are to teach our people sound doctrine, and I've said this before. Can your people defend the doctrines of christ against a jehovah witness or, or or a pentecostal who believes we can lose our salvation or or the the baby baptizers can they defend those things if they can't you're not teaching them doctrine they need to be able to stand on solid doctrine I have a preacher he's not in my area today, but he's a good friend of mine, and it's been a couple of years ago that he told me this, but he said he's decided to start teaching doctrine to his people. I ask, why wasn't he doing that before? That's what Paul has just told us we're supposed to be doing in this passage of scripture, preaching doctrine. Here's something that's important. A lot of our churches put their main emphasis on soul winning, which I disagree with that. I think that our main emphasis should be on growing Christians. When we do that, uh, soul winning will take care of itself. I'm not saying we shouldn't teach on soul winning. Of course, that's part of sound doctrine. But I'm saying it shouldn't be our main emphasis. Our main emphasis should be growing Christians. But uh, here's the thing. If your people are going out and knocking on doors or talking to their friends and families or doing things they can to reach the lost, which they should be, can they bring conviction to the hearts of lost people to show their need for salvation? Can they get out there and talk about God's holiness and say how holy God is and how that affects us and why that makes him a, a righteous judge, a, a judge who's going to judge the lost, a, a judge all sin. He's gonna judge every piece of sin that that's, that's in this world today can they make that case? Can they show the people that there's a reason why they need to be concerned about their eternity? It's not just a matter of, of, well, you want to be saved so you go to heaven, you don't go to hell. That's not bringing real conviction in the hearts of people. It's getting out there and showing how God is holy and righteous and a righteous judge and how God will not clear the guilty. That's stated twice in the scriptures. That makes it important. Once is important, but twice makes it really important. God is not going to uh, let those who have sinned get away with it. By the way, that's true for us Christians also. When we sin, God will spank us if we don't turn to him and repent of our sins and get things straightened out with him. We won't lose our salvation but we will be spanked because we're his children and he cares about us, he loves us, and that means proper discipline is important. Can they make the point of how serious man's sin is? Can they do that? Can they make a person realize that even the little things in his life are important and they will be judged? We like to talk about some of the bigger sins like adultery and things like this with people, but how about the sins of omission? Not going to church when the church doors are open after all. Doesn't the Bible say we're not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is? And so much the more as the time approaches. The closer we get to to the return of Christ, the more important being in church is. But can we get people under conviction to the fact that they're not in church like they should be because we're not to forsake that? How about uh, uh, the way they run their families? That's sin. And most people today, even many Christians, aren't leading their family according to Bible principles, but can we show them that God must punish that He must, and can we show them that a just God cannot let somebody off the hook without the price being paid? Once we get that kind of conviction in their hearts, they understand God is holy. They understand how unholy they are. They see themselves uh, as they really are in danger of hell fire. I mean, the old-time preachers used to take the people and dangle them over the the fires of hell. Make them see how hot that was. Make them see what lies ahead for them. Make them see that even their small sins are important and and we're condemning them. Until they get to that point, they're not really ready for the gospel because they don't understand why they need to be saved. We're telling people, you need to be saved because God loves you and doesn't want you to go to hell. And that may be a true statement, but that's not going to bring in a life-changing conviction in the hearts of the people. So we need to, to re-look at how we approach this thing of soul, uh, soul winning. But let me tell you this, folks. If we're going to preach with sound doctrine, we're going to have to make sure that all of the doctrines of the Word of God are preached, and, and that includes uh, those things that, that are necessary for the Holy Spirit to be able to work in the hearts of the people and bring true conviction. It used to be people would uh, come to salvation in tears and, and, and crying out for God's mercy and things like this. Now it's just, oh yeah, I'll pray the prayer and I'll go to heaven. And folks, that's not biblical. I hate to say that, but that's not biblical. This leads into the next point that I want to talk about. Today, there's no fear of God before the eyes of the people. Uh, in Romans 3.18, it says, there's no fear of God before before their eyes. That is America today. That is the world today. Everybody has God as some loving entity sitting up on a cloud, looking down at us, laughing at our foolish mistakes, and saying, hey, listen, I love you. I just want you to come to heaven. Why don't you just pray this prayer, and I'll come to heaven? That's not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible is a God of wrath as well as a God of love. The Bible says God is love three times. It talks about his love a whole lot more than that, but it makes the clear statement that God is love three times, and they're all within eight or ten verses of uh, of each other in one book of the Bible. And we put all of our emphasis there. The Bible says that God is holy more than 95 times. Don't you think we should be putting our emphasis where God puts his emphasis on his holiness and not on uh, his love, which he is a God of love? But when we're trying to reach the lost, read the scriptures, see how the evangelists of the scriptures did it. They didn't start out by saying God loves you. They started out and said, you're a dirty, rotten sinner. You're in trouble with God. You're going to hell if you don't do something about it. And when that conviction comes in, then they would give them the gospel. As a matter of fact, if you look at the the Bible soul winning, you'll find that Jesus nor any of the apostles nor any of the evangelists in the Bible, none of them ever said, do you want to be saved? they presented god as a holy god and man as an unholy creature and then when the people were convicted in their hearts they would come and say sirs what must i do when they were really pricked in their heart the philippian jailer did that uh on the day of Pentecost when Peter preached his message. That's what the people did. That's the way it happened in the Bible. We today try and twist people's arms to get them saved instead of bringing them under conviction of the fact that they need to be saved because they're unholy, unrighteous people. We need to get people to see themselves as they really are in the light of who God really is. But as I said a moment ago, there's no fear of God before the eyes of the people. And that's why we have so many professions of faith where somebody says, I've got a problem. I come to Christ. I believe in Christ. The problem's going to go away. It doesn't. And they go out the back door. They never really got saved in the first place. And that's also why so many of our Christians live like the world. Folks, I've seen people uh, in in our church, people who are upstanding members of the church, who are involved in the church. And uh, uh, I've seen the, the, the wife, she always dresses properly in church. She doesn't have too low a tops. Her skirts are long enough to cover herself like they should be and things like this. But I've seen her out in public in short shorts. The Bible says that if a woman uh, uncovers her thigh, she's kind of acting like a prostitute. And it does attract men's eyes. By the way, in preaching sound doctrine, when we teach on modesty, do we teach on why women should be modest? Because it causes men to sin when we don't. But I I digress. Um, The world mocks God. Just listen to what we hear all the time. Comedians mock God. Uh, Politicians mock God. Uh, All kinds of people, all the people that that want to turn this nation into a socialist society. hellhole, if you'll excuse my expression, uh, they all mock God. They don't think he's important. They don't even think he exists. As a matter of fact, some of the politicians in America today have said they hope the churches never reopen uh, the way they were before. They don't want us there. They want us to get rid of us. And by the way, that's a sign of the last days. But are we teaching the people what they need to hear? And folks, here's the sad part. <clears throat> Most Christians don't have a fear of God most christians today go about their lives like well god's nice i go see him on sunday morning and sit in church and listen to the preacher get up there and preach to me and i forget about what he said as i walk out the door and i go and live my life that's most christians today they live like the world i mean i see professing christians men with with long hair Uh, there's one man that i spoke to recently uh, several times and the man was talking like he was a good christian he had hair down in the middle of his back now, was he a good man? As far as men are concerned, he was a good man. He was a hard worker because he was doing some work for us. But uh, the point that I'm trying to make is, he didn't know that the Bible says that it's a shame for a man to wear long hair. He didn't know that. Some preacher is, is letting things down. We need to understand <clears throat> that God's principles, all of them, are important. I have a tendency when I get on a subject like this to digress a bit, but there's no fear of God when it comes to what his word is. Today, people argue about the Bible version issue, for example. Well, you can't follow God's word if you don't have God's word. And let me tell you something about copyrights. And all of these new Bible versions are copyrighted. They're copyrighted so they can sell them and make money. To get a copyright, on a Bible version, it has to be significantly different from all of the other versions that are out there. It does, doesn't just have to be different from the King James. It has to be different from the NIV and the New King James and, and the, the Christian English version or whatever it is. I get mixed up with all these letters they've got out there and out. The, the, the New American Standard, the American Standard, uh, all of these different. It has to be different from all of them. And I've mentioned this principle before, and I'm going to mention it again today. This is true throughout all of your life. Things that are different are not the same. Different versions are not the same. They do not say the same thing and just say it in different words. If they did, they could not get a copyright. There has to be significant differences. Folks, there's no fear of God because people are able to go to all these multiples of Bible versions and find a version that says what they want it to say so they can live their lives the way they want to live it. I'm sorry I get off on that. No, I'm not. If it offends somebody out there that you're using something other than the King James Bible, sorry, you need to hear that. Study it out for yourself. Don't just take my word for it. Look at the differences. Look at the fact that the King James Bible says we are saved. And all of the modern versions that I've ever checked out say we are being saved. What could be more important than that? Either we are or we're being saved. If we are saved, it's a done deal. If we're being saved, then it could end tomorrow without us being saved. In Psalms chapter 16, verse 6, it says... By mercy and truth, iniquity is purged. And by the fear of the Lord, men depart from evil. So until we get people to fear God, we can't expect them to turn their back on evil. Mercy and truth purge iniquity. Mercy we like. Truth we don't always like because it offends. We need to realize that until we speak the truth in love, and I wasn't going to say this, but I'm going to say this and give my son-in-law credit where he, where he deserves it. But you know my son-in-law, Tom Wallace, and he often says, we're seldom persuasive when we're abrasive. So we need to speak the truth in love, but we need to speak the truth. And we need to make the truth clear. We can't beat around the bush. We can't speak in a way that, that doesn't offend if the truth is going to offend. We have to be careful and make sure we say things right. Mercy and truth teach us that there is a holy God to whom we must give account. God is merciful in that he gave us the scriptures so we could see him as he is. Now we can learn a certain amount about God from what we see around us, but we can't learn about who he really is without him revealing it to us in his word. So by mercy, he gave us the truth about who he is. And we need to realize that that's the God to whom we are all going to have to give an account. Men will only depart from evil when they have a true fear of God. As important as it is for people to know our Baptist history, it is more important to know what our forefathers did that made them so special. They were special because they would not compromise with error. From the time of Christ until the founding of America, they did so at great personal cost, even the cost of their lives. Today, most Baptists have compromised in order to be accepted in polite society. Since the 1960s, offending someone has become society's greatest sin. This air has rubbed off on Baptist preachers, especially the younger ones. We accept people into our churches who would not have been accepted by the old-time preachers. For example, in the olden days, if a woman was seen in in immodest dress, in church or out of church, her husband or father was called before the church leaders. He was told to correct the issue, and if he did not, they were put out of the church. We wouldn't do such a thing today for fear of offending and losing a good tither. Folks, it's time that we as Baptists live up to our responsibility. We are the ones that caused the pulpits of America to be aflame with righteousness back at the time of our founding. We are the ones who have compromised and let righteousness become optional today. You have been listening to Solid Foundation Ministries from Lenore, North Carolina, Dr. Kuvert has 35 years in the ministry as a former missionary and pastor. He is available for revivals and various conferences on missions, Bible, Baptist heritage, and the family. To find out more, go to our website, solidfoundationministries.com, or call 828-244-6505. Remember, the Christian life is not about you. It's about God receiving the glory.